Grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're returning to our series on the resurrection. The goal is, is why, do, why is the resurrection so important and, and what are some of the benefits of the resurrection? So we've seen that because Christ is risen, first and foremost, we, we are healed, right? So, so we have the hope of salvation, um, and there are other benefits as well. And we want to add to that today that Christ was raised for our healing. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we want to begin in verse 3 and go down to verse 11, page 1025 of your pew Bibles. With that, if you will stand with me out of reverence for God's holy word. The Apostle Paul writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. If we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we, that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we ask as always, when we gather, you open our hearts and our minds, our eyes and our ears, our hands and our feet and our mouth, that we will go in obedience of Christ, transformed by your gospel, that we would worship, obey, and follow the one who is risen from the dead. Lord, we live in an age that is in desperate need of comfort. May we find it in Christ. May I decrease so you can increase. Name yourself, we pray. Amen. Be seated. I'm guessing that if we were to compile a list of influential Kentuckians, we would come up with a similar top list. They would include names like Abraham Lincoln, Henry Clay, Colonel Sanders, of course, Rick Pitino, no doubt. But we would come up with a similar list. I know he's a New York and he's really a Kentuckian because uh, he likes horses. But can I add a name to that list worth considering? The name is Dr. Ephraim McDowell. He lived in the late 18th, early 19th century. He was raised and his father had hoped that he would become a lawyer, but he decided instead, against his, his father's wishes, to become a medical doctor and surgeon. He specialized, and his, his office was here in Kentucky, actually in Danville, Kentucky, not too far from here. Uh, he specialized in the removal of stones, gallstones, kidney stones, and whatnot. His most famous patient was former president, or soon-to-be president, James K. Polk. Many of you all who went to public school have no idea that we had a president named James K. Polk. Shame on you, one of our good presidents, I think, uh, but I could be wrong. But he isn't famous for that work, as important as it was, as famous as it made him. His most famous medical procedure came when a woman by the name of Jane Todd Crawford came to her in desperation. 
Every doctor tried to tell her that the large mass in her midsection was a baby still waiting to be born. She had surpassed her 40 weeks of pregnancy, and any minute now she could go into labor. But she knew something was off. She went from doctor to doctor to doctor. And it was Dr. Uh, uh, McDowell who identified the growth not as a child, but as an ovarian tumor. And every doctor told her it was inoperable. She was going to die from it. Well, she continued to ask for help and particularly continued to go back to Dr. McDowell. And she said, Dr. McDowell, I can die a slow, painful death due to this tumor, or I can die on your operating table. Either way, I die. But if you operate on me, there is a chance that I could live. So after some convincing, he had uh, Jane Todd Crawford travel all the way to Danville, about a 60-mile trip for her on horseback, with a tumor that was later weighed to be over 20 pounds in the size of a soccer ball. Now, most of us couldn't travel in the, in the front passenger seat of an SUV, let alone horseback. Well, she, she arrived, and on Christmas morning, 1809, Dr. McDowell removed the tumor from Miss Crawford. This surgery had never been done successfully. The entire procedure took 25 minutes, only 25 minutes. Days later, really weeks later, she returned home perfectly healthy and lived for about another 20 years. He performed another similar procedure, and it was after that second one, he finally published his findings and his experiences and reshaped uh, surgery, uh, cancer treatment, and a host of other things. Well, what sticks out to me most about the story of Dr. McDowell is, isn't just the uh, almost miraculous. In fact, he was, a, a, he was Presbyterian, and he, he credited it to, to God's glory that he was able to be used by God to save this woman's life. But what I find most striking about the story is, is the fact that this woman had surgery without any anesthetic or antiseptic. I can't, I'm not a doctor. I'm a theologian, so I can't use big words. Uh, but she had none of that. None of that. Simply, she lay there. He grabbed a knife and started to cut into her. Now, there were options for her. Dr. McDowell's plan was, because he didn't want her to fall asleep, he, he had hoped that she would drink a lot of alcohol. The problem was, she was a teetotaler. And she did not believe you should drink alcohol. So she refused. She simply laid there as he cut into her to save her life. You want to know what helped her to persevere through that surgery? She spent the entire time singing Christian hymns. What helped her through such an ordeal was to focus not on her discomfort and pain, but on the glory of Christ risen from the dead. If you read 2 Corinthians, it is clear to Paul that yes, he has some leadership issues he has to address in this church. Corinthians is a messed up church. But you also see that he continues to return to the theme that he is a man of many sorrows. He continues to remind the church of his many sufferings. The climax of this is actually near the end of the book in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul writes, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 
40 lashes less one, 39 lashes. It was illegal to go over 40, so they would cut it at 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, off without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these things, there's the constant pressure on me. The anxiety caused by local church people. Paul clearly was one who understood what it meant to suffer. But more than that, he was a man who understood the source of our comfort. It is one thing to talk about hardship. It is one thing to talk about difficulties and sufferings. But as a Christian, we should equally talk about, perhaps talk about more, the source of our comfort. Notice in this passage, he begins talking about the source of our comfort, the source of our comfort. Notice between verses 3 and 7, he references comfort over and over again. In fact, reading it kind of gets annoying, doesn't it? It's like a broken record. Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies, God of our comfort, one time, who comforts us in our affliction. We may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we, which we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse 5, that's four times in verse 4, by the way. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, we share abundantly in his comfort as well. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort uh, we, you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we endure. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that you share in our sufferings, you will share in our comfort. You see it ten times in a matter of a few verses. Once in verse 3, four times in verse 4, once in verse 5, three times in verse 6, once again in verse 7. You don't have to be an, a, an educated preacher to know that the main point of verses 3 through 7 is comforts. Paul wants you to grasp the concept of comfort, not just the concept, but the source of comfort. You'll notice he breaks this down into two parts, the source of our comfort. One is God is the source of all comfort. God is the source of all comfort. You notice he begins there, verse 3, with blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We talked at the first of the year, I know you've already forgotten, what the Bible means by blessed. Here, it is the concept of praise. Paul is praising God, of the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, for being a God of mercy and comfort. It is God who comforts us amid our tribulations, trials, and afflictions. The word translated there in uh, verse 4 as affliction is an interesting word. It could be translated tribulation. That would be a perfectly fine translation. It literally means to press together or pressure. It's a Greek metaphor often used to describe distress and oppression. One of the things I like to do when I go into a hospital or someone who is sick is, is we will pray for healing, as you might expect. And one of the things I like to do is say, God, we ask you to be with doctors, nurses, medicines, treatments, facilities, all of that. But that you would bring healing. Why? Because we believe all healing is divine. Now, God uses medicine. He uses doctors. He uses nurses. He, he uses grandma's home remedies at times, right? But it is the means by which God brings healing. And Paul is saying something similar here. He is saying that all comfort is divine. 
God in Christ is the source of real comfort, which means to run from him is to turn away from that source. To blame God or to walk away in difficult moments is to turn away from our only source of hope. I've shared with you the story before. Uh, never forget of a family who came to the church I pastored before, and they had just gone through years of grief, having lost the uh, husband and father of the household. And there were two grown children, uh, but they were close to, to the family. One still lived at home to sort of take care of his aging parents. And, and they had just started coming to the church, met with them, and you could tell that the grief had really shaken this family. And in that loss, it had taken them years to get back into the church. And within a few months, that son who was taking care now of his widowed mother, he died suddenly in the middle of the night, got a blood clot in his knee that needed surgery, and he died in his sleep, and his mother found him the next morning. Once again, those, those emotions and pains came to, 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 to the uh, top of, of, of the family. And, and, and they went through that process of grief again. And the first thing they did was in anger turn away from God. I'll never forget visiting them the next day. So I'd like to read to you from the Word of God. And it was, make it quit. Quick, we're, we're done with this. Every time we, we pray, every time we come to worship, tragedy hits us. And I just want to say that I understand that it's a dark valley right now. But if you turn away from the light, you will only find more darkness in your soul. Run from God, the only source of comfort, and you will have no source of comfort. Was it the psalmist wrote in Psalm 121? We looked at this on Mother's Day, I believe. I, I will lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? You know the answer, right? The creator of the mountains. I cannot tell you why all suffering and pressure and oppression and difficulty happens. But I can tell you who to turn to when they do. Here's the first source of comfort, and that is Christ. The second source of comfort is God's children. Notice what he does in, in verse 4, right? He, he, that God comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. You see what he did there? Having received comfort, we can give comfort to others. So God comforts us so that we may be a source of comfort for others. When we see that the Christian life is meant to be lived in community, this is difficult for Americans to grasp, that we are meant not to have a private faith, but a communal faith, when we understand that, then we could truly be used by God. Have you ever noticed in the local church that uh, widows have an attraction and minister to widows? Why is that? It's right here. Those who experience divorce will often find themselves attracted to those who, who, who are going through that, and they become a source of comfort and grace to them. Those who have lost loved ones, encourage those who are in the middle of, of that process of grief. Why is that? Because we understand that having found comfort, we are free and encouraged to be ministers of comfort to others. Again, I can't explain all the world's sufferings, but I do know that suffering is not without meaning and that God can turn evil and suffering into good like he did at the cross. My past experiences 
can be a learning experience that God can use to encourage and minister to others while they themselves go through those similar experiences. Maybe you're here today and you can think, so-and-so, whenever I lost my loved one or I lost my job or I was really stressed out or, or that was a really difficult moment in our lives and our marriage was faltering, there was someone who could come alongside and say, look, I've, I've experienced something like that or I'm sympathetic to what your needs and concerns are. Let me just share with you my experience and we can walk through this together. The great theologian, uh, the, uh, uh, I forget his name because he's, he's a made-up character from the West Wing, he, uh, he tells a, a fun little parable in this regard. A man, uh, 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 McGrady, uh, Leo McGrady, he's, he's the chief of staff of President Bartlett of West Wing. You don't care. But he tells the parable of a man who fell down the hole. The, 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 it was a deep hole and he couldn't climb out of it. He was stuck and didn't know what to do. A doctor came by and says, Doctor, can you help me get out of the hole? And so the doctor wrote a prescription, threw it down there, and walked on his way. A priest came by and says, Priest, can you help me get out of the hole? The priest wrote out a prayer and threw it down the hole and went along his way until finally a, a friend came along and he said, Hey, Joe, I've fallen down this hole. Can you help me figure out how to get out of here? And so his friend, Joe, jumped into the hole with him. The man says, well, Joe, what are you doing? Now, now we're both stuck in the hole. And Joe says, well, that's the thing. I've been down in this hole before, and I know the way to get out. God brings comfort in Christ so that we can be a comfort to others. What did Paul write in 1 Corinthians 12? If one member suffers, we all do. If one member is honored, we all are. You see Paul's point. We are never alone amidst our sorrow, grief, and pain. We have a source in Christ who brings comfort simply because he is risen from the dead, where Paul turns to as he gets down in this text. And the gift of that resurrection is a community of believers who love us through that valley of darkness. Too often we come to worship trying to pretend like everything is okay. When God has gifted us the body of believers so that we can be open to say, not everything is okay. But we can be reminding of each other of our hope in Christ. Now, the theological foundation of this is given in verses 5 to 7. And we've looked at this before. It is our union with Christ. We talked about this when we were in Colossians several weeks ago. Notice Paul references the cross here in verse 5. If we, for we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in, in Christ's comfort as well. Notice there he says that Christ suffered, we will suffer. This is what Martin Luther said something like, uh, um, they gave our Savior a crown of thorns. Why do you think you'll be given a bed of roses? The, Paul, or the Bible is clear on this. The Bible never promises Christians an easy, comfortable life. In fact, it promises us the opposite. Can I give you just a handful of verses? I could give you a couple dozen. Matthew 10, 30, uh, 38. He, does not, he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. By the way, when he says take up your cross, he doesn't mean buy a necklace at the local Christian bookstore. What it means is an instrument of torture and death. Philippians 1.29, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, that's the easy part, 
It's to suffer for his sake. Or consider uh, uh, also 2 Timothy. I may need your help, Don. The button's not working. 2 Timothy 1.8. Join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. 2 Timothy 4.5. Paul just makes it clear. Endure hardships. John 16.33. I have said these things that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Not optional, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, when a believer suffers, he is sharing in the suffering of Christ. By faith, we understand that Christ suffered for us, before us. We share in his sufferings. We share He shares, rather, in ours. But if that is true, the inverse is true. If we share in Christ's sufferings, we get to share in His comfort. Isn't that one of the good parts about team sports? Right? Like, like I ran track, and track is pretty straightforward. You're on a team, but you're on your own. And by being on the team, it means basically you you ride in the same bus together. That's it, right? If someone does shot putt, what do you care? I ran the 400. Someone sprints in 100, what do I care? I was about to run the 800. I did high jump. I don't care about triple jump, right? It's an individual sport. But if you play a team sport, football, basketball, soccer, the greatest sport, of course, is the latter. What you'll find is, is that you will lose together. You will suffer together. You have to go through conditioning together. But then also when you succeed, when you win, when there's victory, you do it together. Why? Because you're no longer the quarterback. You're no longer the catcher. No longer the point guard or the right wing. You are the team. So too, as we come into the body of Christ, we, yes, we share in the sufferings with Christ. We also share in His comfort as well. For far too often, we neglect this comfort. As a result, we, we turn to cheap replacements like alcohol, anger, pills, and isolation. There is a better option for us as believers. Now, the late Tim Keller has a great line that's been going around. It says simply, if the resurrection is true, everything is going to be all right. One one of, well, let's move down to to verse uh, 16 here. Uh, or verse 6, rather, where, where he says, um, If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings as we do. This is a shared experience. Paul describes the church as a body. We need each other and function best when we fulfill our specific callings. God has you here to be a minister to the others here. And these others are here to be a minister to your very soul. One of the things I've found in the sport of running is that if a part of your body is hurting, there is a chance that the source of that discomfort or that pain is that part of the body that hurts, right? So if you can, if you can heal that part of your body, be fine. But usually it's the opposite. I've found that that usually what is the source of a lot of injuries, it's not your calves, it's not your Achilles, it's not your plantar fasciitis, usually your hips. 
See, what happens with your body is, is if your hips are off a little bit and something's wrong, the rest of your body tries to compensate for what is off. And, and so what happens is you end up overstraining your Achilles. You end up overstraining your calves or your knees or your ankles or whatever it is. And so even though you, you feel pain in those areas, you think, well, that's the source of my problem. Actually, it, 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 it is something else. That's the way the, the body functions. So, too, discipleship in community allows for suffering to be shared. Thus, we are not alone. And it allows for the comfort to be shared. Thus, we heal together. That's the source of comfort. Can we talk real quickly? I know we're short on time with the situation. Paul moves from saying, look, we all suffer as Christ suffered, and we all get the comfort that Christ gives us together. But here's a specific situation he's looking at. Paul's looking at his own life. This is a testimony he gives us. Notice verse 8, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction. Notice that pressing together the tribulation. We experience in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. An incredible story. Now, there's some debates to what exactly does he have in mind here. I just read to you 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul mentions his, his imprisonments. He mentions his uh, being beaten by Roman guards. He mentions being shipwrecked. But most agree that what Paul describes here is not mentioned anywhere in the New Testament. Now, I want you to pause there. There was a lot of messed up stuff that Paul went through mentioned in the New Testament. And to think that not all of it is mentioned in the New Testament tells you that, boy, our Christian journey is pretty easy compared to his, don't you think? I mean, my goodness. Go back and read what we read earlier in 2 Corinthians 11. You want that to be part of your life? Pick one verse. You want that to be part of your journey? I don't think so. Here we have perhaps Paul referencing something that didn't even make the, the, the top 20 list. Right? This, 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 this is incredible. He says that, that it was so bad, we, we just wanted to give up. We despaired of life itself. What an incredible thing. But he says there in verse 9, he persevered because he believed in the God who raises the dead. Notice his language, verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What was Teller's quote again? If Christ is res- risen, if the resurrection is true, everything could be okay. Notice what he did here. He says, while in the grip of death, while feeling as if they're about to close the caskets, it was then I remembered Christ has conquered the grave. One of the best books I think any believer should read, really anyone should read, is John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. At one point, Christian is the main character's name, and Hopeful, I think, is, was his friend's name. They find themselves off the narrow path, and they, they get captured by giant despair. And they live in the castle of doom or despair, something like that. And, and giant despair doesn't feed them. He, he doesn't nurture them. They, they are starving to death. And every day they think today is the day we're going to die. And all that giant despair wants them to do is to kill themselves. He comes in every day and he accuses them. He tortures them. He, he robs them of dignity and, and food. And, he, and, and then they get to the point that, that there is no escaping giant despair, they believe. Then Christian realizes the entire time he's had on himself the key. 
It was on him the whole time. If only he would use it, he could escape giant despair's prison. And so he takes it out, locks the doors, and escapes. I love that imagery. We have on our possession right now the secret to comforts. If only we would access it. Why choose misery? Why choose despair? Why choose tears? Why choose bitterness and anger and addiction? We have on us Christ risen from the dead. And so Paul makes it clear in verse 10, God delivered Paul. It wasn't Paul that delivered Paul. And one of the primary means by which God acts is prayer. Therein lies the power of the saints. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Paul's saying, look, more suffering's coming. But if Christ is risen from the dead, everything will be all right. Ultimately, what Paul is doing here is applying the principle he discussed earlier. If God and Christ is the source of comfort, here's a situation to demonstrate this. And notice what he's doing. He is reminding them that Christ is the source, and then he is sharing his experience to help the church through their own sufferings. All that in fulfillment of what he did early on in the chapter. He's walling for us what this looks like. He provides a theological foundation and the experience that goes along with it. The lessons we learn from such afflictions should never be privatized. Well, many of you all may remember that the drug scare of the 70s, 80s, and even early 90s, how it was often discussed. It was based off of a single experiment with rats. What they did with rats was, was they put them in a box and they, they had the rats that there was a lever that if the rat would go over and hit the lever, a shot of heroin would go into the rat system. And what they found out that the rats would do is that they discovered every time they hit that lever, uh, a dose of heroin would hit them. And so they started to hit it constantly until the point they would overdose and die. And that became the policy in the United States, that when it comes to addiction, there is no escaping it. And so you, you, you got celebrities came out, politicians came out, uh, uh, school specials came out about the dangers of addiction, and rightly so. However, it was a flawed experiment. What they did was they isolated rats, which are by nature social animals. So a psychologist did a different uh, experiment where he had two control groups. One, he had a control group of rats that could choose between water and some other drug. And only hair, I don't know what it was, doesn't matter. And they could choose one or the other, but they, they lived in this sort of zoo by, by which they, uh, they can even call it a rat part, where, where they could just live together and they could function and they could enjoy one of these con- uh, company. But then he had several other rats who, again, were in those small boxes where they could choose between the water and the drugs. And, and, and he noticed they started to choose the drugs those who are isolated. However, when he took those rats that were isolated, already high and addicted to drugs, put them into the rat park, you know what he found? They willingly went through withdrawals to be cured 
to spend time with the other rats. What does that tell you? We live in a very, very complicated world that is increasingly dark and pagan and godless. And as a result, we have chosen isolation and we respond to difficulties with more isolation, more addiction, and mindless entertainments, which only feeds our sorrow, which only feeds our despair. You will not fix this by unnecessary surgeries. You will not fix this by political protest. You will not fix it in all the secular ways we have before us. In comes the gospel. It says, don't don't you see? Don't you see what you need is Christ and Christ community. And through the redeeming work of the resurrection, you are brought into a true and better kingdom that liberates us, that comforts us, that gives us the peace that we are otherwise looking for. Maybe you're here. You believe in Jesus. You've walked the aisle. You've done everything. But, but, but what you're struggling with is, is you continue to suffer from unforgiveness. You continue to grieve at night and no one knows because everyone else thinks you've just moved on with your life. You continue to struggle in your marriage. You continue to be haunted by your past. You continue to, to, to cry out in agony and pain from physical sufferings. So let me encourage you here this morning. There is a source of comfort for you. And it is in Christ, risen from the dead. You have the key on you. Will you finally use it? Let's pray. Father, as a